0: This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with the Managing Director of Buckinghamshire Cricket, Rich Hudson. He discusses the use of statistics with the current England team, the pathway for young cricketers and how Buckinghamshire Cricket supports this, as well as his book, Perform Beyond Pressure and the learnings that you can take from this. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Rich, uh, appreciate you spending a bit of time with me today. Uh, how are things your end? All good?
1: Yeah, all, all good. Obviously, we're in the off-season of cricket, but we're pretty busy with different uh, winter programmes going on, whether that's in, in schools or our own player pathway and, and academy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have had a little bit of a break from the season, but we, you know, I think, like most sports, it's 12 months a year these days, but you just try and balance out what's going on in those 12 months and not... Um, burn anyone out or or, um, make sure they can particularly players and younger players they get the chance to play their other sports and stuff like that.
0: So imagine for you at the minute same as everyone working from home enjoying the opportunity to watch a bit of T20 on in the background as well I don't know if you're doing the same as me but uh, it's quite nice when I'm writing emails to have that on.
1: Yeah definitely obviously uh, yesterday afternoon was um, uh, England were playing against Sri Lanka so that was that was handy. made sure I had no meetings in yesterday afternoon and just did a bit of admin and it's obviously really nice to see England um off to a really good start in that in that competition. And um, you know, just one we're working with with younger players to have the role models in our own country on white ball cricket, I think it's so powerful. We spent so many years in English cricket, sort of trying to play catch up to Australia um and others. And it's great to see people like Joss Butler kind of setting the setting the tone and making that um very enjoyable, but also makes life a little bit easier when you go to work.
0: Yeah, and I think massively it's kind of the brand that they're playing as well. And I know obviously New Zealand kind of started it off with Brendan McCullough and their shift of all brands of cricket being like that. But, you know, when you see Josh Butler, like the innings that he had yesterday and then obviously Jason Roy's done the same, Berso's done the same, Stokes, granted not in this tournament, but previously has done the same. It, it's the, I think the way that they're going about it, which, you know, will really inspire the younger generations and hopefully they're watching and, Obviously, wanting to get involved, um yeah. When, yeah. I guess when summertime's
1: come around, yeah, d- definitely. I think if you know someone's, yeah, I think when I was growing up, what what did cricket look like if you turn on the TV? And you know, I love the longer form of the game, but I think if you, it's just has such a broader reach. The T Twenty, and particularly when your own national team is doing well and you've got your own role models, I think it makes such a difference. And as you say, that kind of like uh, fearless cricket, attacking cricket but also I think behind it I think there's a lot of analysis they go on so that their attacking play is really targeted you know they talk a lot about matchups and different players targeting different bowlers or different stages of the innings to, to maximise the kind of attacking talent and skill that they've got so it's really um, it's really fearless but I also think it's really smart and I think they've, the smarter element is probably the bit that's they've developed more and more as the years gone on like you're looking to build up to that to the World Cup that they won in the 50-overs cup a few years ago I think you know it's probably all out of attack whereas I think they've probably got different gears that they can shift through as those as those players now they've probably got a greater range to their games so it kind of just shows how they're evolving even having won a, a World Cup in the 50-over Cup that they're, you know, a lot of those batters particularly are kind of try to go take up their, their game to another take their game up another gear which is great to see and so why do you think they made that
0: shift in terms of maybe being more analytical and smarter? Like, uh, example, the other day against Australia, I saw that they held Moe Ali out because of Finch and the way that he attacks off-spin. Um, what do you think made them make that shift? And then how have, how that you know of, again, how, how have they implemented it um, so successfully?
1: Yeah, I just think that you go back a few years and if you just went all out of attack and you had the skill to do it, then no other teams were playing conservatively enough that that would work more times than not. And I think actually when you watch Australia play a lot now, they're still playing quite orthodox, whether it's T20 or 50 overs, kind of play the percentages quite steadily, raising them and going, well, actually, we're just going to push the accelerator down. And I think for a number of years, that was good enough. But actually, other teams have caught up and, you know, you see teams like India aren't having the best run. But they got some such strength and depth of players experience through the IPL. So suddenly you need another edge. Um, all, you know, you're kind of fearless, express yourself, skillful players. It's not enough on its own. So you, ne- you need another edge. And I think from what I, I, mean, I don't know, personally, from what I understand, I Morgan, I think he's quite a, just quite an analytical, um, guy. I think he's into his race and um, and horse racing, sorry. And, uh, you know, and he kind of follows the form and, no wants to know who to back and I think that's similar, you know, we want to know who to back. Well actually Moeing against Aaron Finch has been a poor matchup for a number of years. Finch tends to whack him into the stand. So it doesn't matter what Mo how um, well Moeine's bowled in the previous games. Actually against Aaron Finch, there's a better there's a better matchup. Um and that for me is just yeah, I think it's just the need to constantly develop the uh, the next the next edge. And you've got a, a captain who kind of is good at sifting through that because i think it's very easy to get bogged down in data it's how do you how do you make it work for you and and they seem to be able to have got that balance um spot on so far which is um yeah i don't think it's an easy balance to get because either you know i just remember you'd go back to a couple of world cups saying then they were always looking to get past scores because it was motivated by the data whereas they almost limited themselves with data whereas now they seem to be using it in a way to exploit their strengths and, and kind of limit the opposition's chance to expose their weaknesses. I
0: think what's been really interesting around that as well, managing it, is how you manage the individuals. So like for Mo and Ali, obviously his start to the tournament had been unbelievable to then kind of say, well, you're actually you're not bowling this game. I it might not have been an explicit conversation because obviously if Finch had got out early, they may have turned to him. But obviously being in the position where Moen accepts the fact that, okay, yeah, that's a bad matchup for us, but I know that I'll have a good one in the next game or the next couple of games. And being happy with that and how, how they manage that internally, I can be, I imagine it must be a fascinating conversation to have and, you know, people having defined roles within, within the squad and what that looks like. You look at Joss Butler going from middle of order to swapping with Johnny Bairstow, like, yeah, how they have those conversations and how it obviously goes with evidence, I think is really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great example that Baersto one, because go back a year and people were saying they were getting that wrong. That they shouldn't have switched those guys around, but actually I think you know, it was a data driven decision that actually that Baersto is their, um, best player of spin. And therefore having him batting it in the middle order where spin's always going to be on is going to get the most out of him. And Butler is just their best player, so they want him facing as many balls as possible. And you could easily make the argument the other way around because there's not that much difference uh, to the to the eye, I think, on their ability. But that's yeah, how they how they driven that. And that must be that must be challenging. But I also think, second thing, the first time you talk about it, it's the hardest. But actually, if you create a culture where this is how we do it, and he, and someone like Moines will have seen that. Have to besto, then you realise it's that it's not about me. It's about you know, it's not about the individual. Get taking it personally. It's about having the information and then understanding that this is how the team works. Um, I also think what's really interesting with England team is just you know, Morgan is obviously a very strong captain, but just the amount he who he talks to and the amount he talks to players out there, and Moe is one of them. And so's Chris Jordan, another, and, and just back there. and I think they've, they've not just got one really good captain, but I think they've got a number of really good leaders who have got a lot of experience playing around the world in these T20 competitions. And he just seems very good at getting drawing that out of them. And someone like Moe, um, I think he, if he's made to, if, he, if, even if you're not bowling him, if you're going to him and asking about the tactics, the field sets and that sort of stuff, then. Well, I think like anyone, you feel like you're part of it. You're contributing in different ways. And I think Morgan is very good at, at doing that and making people feel like they, they belong and they're valued in that environment. Um, that's certainly how it looks on the, on the TV. Cause I think Jordan's a really interesting one because Jordan, you know, is the England's death bowler bowling at the end of the innings, but statistically not amazing, not, not about, you know, he kind of, he's a banker in that side, but you compare him around the world. He's not that good. But you can see how important he is to Morgan during the fielding innings, because it's not just the balls he bowls, but it's his calmness and understanding the order they're gonna bowl the different bowlers and the fields they're gonna set. Um and so that I think is elevated, has elevated Jordan's um well, potentially a sense of belonging, and, and interesting that his performance has actually gone up as well. So you start to draw complete cause and effect, but i I find that really, really interesting for a player that I think few people were doubting numbers-wise he's played so well, and the way that Morgan interacts with him on the field could be a big part of that.
0: Yeah, and I think w- what you're leading to there is kind of having the best team, not necessarily always the best players. Um, and, and this is just my personal preference. Again, I'm no expert in cricket, but Tom Curran, for me, is one where I feel like when he's played recently, he's got hit about a bit. And I'm always like, why, why why do you stick with it? That there's other bowlers that you could make the argument that are maybe more effective, or, you know, younger players that could come in and potentially, you know, kind of get some exposure and stuff. But there's obviously something that he provides within the group that they value. And they, they think that actually, no, we feel like him being here provides us with a good plan B or has this particular skill set or has these experiences. I know he goes out to Big Bash, I believe, and there's a lot of stuff to teach when you're there. So it is kind of configuring the best group of individuals, uh, sorry, the best team, and not just a group of individuals that go, Well, wow, listen, they're all averaging 50. If they all go and smash 50, not a problem, is it? We'll win the game. It's kind of the nuances in and around that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And how do you get there to dovetail each other? So, you know, you might have someone like Chris Wokes, great bowler at the top of the innings, but it's, you also need guys who bowl at the death. And actually, so the roles are now so specific that the same guy is rarely good at both those. So, you know, there's only so many guys they're going to back to bowl the last couple of overs. And Curran, as you told Curran, you know, it might have had a tough run, but actually, who else have they got that's got the experience and the calmness, um, to, 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 to do that, because it's not just a case of, well, he's a better bowler. It's when you're a better bowler against who, you know, the stage of the game and, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, it's, um, that role clarity and knowing kind of where you are in the pecking order for the, for those roles, I think is, is getting so, so specific in T, in T20 cricket in a way that it wasn't, you know, five or 10 years ago.
0: And do you see, I guess this is from a personal perspective. Obviously at the moment we we're doing very well in White Ball cricket, obviously won the fifty over World Cup, we're doing well in this one and all all things being well we'll we'll win this one as well. Do you see the the culture shift between Test cricket and white ball cricket? And do you see us being able to balance that out where maybe we're, we're able to have a little bit more success or be well rounded in in all three pu well, all three
1: formats of the game? Yeah, definitely. I mean it's a real tension it probably has been for a while isn't it but um i think that's definitely the aspiration it's definitely the way the people at ecb talk and i think most people in cricket you know test cricket is is the pinnacle and obviously we've got the ashes coming up um it can be an incredibly tough series and but i think the desire is to to balance it but sometimes you know there's just so many different factors going into this i've just seen well, one is so people now see T20 and whiteboard cricket is something that we're really good at. And I think we've done really well. We kind of know how to develop a player in whiteboard cricket now. And you can probably get there quicker because just so much of test match cricket is about patience. So patience and training, patience in your play, patience about maturity, uh, allowing a player time to, 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 develop that. Whereas I think in T20 cricket, it's not about power and you can kind of, um, strategy for sure. But, um, I think you can, you can probably get to be an elite level white ball cricketer quicker than a tech, a longer format player. So, um, that's, you know, sort of what, what's a player going to choose to do and where does a coach's attention go? And that's really, really hard. Um, I also just think sometimes you just have a group of players who all come through and they're all, they're all kind of good at the same thing. And you build that strength and depth in white ball cricket. And then. You know, in, in ten years' time, you might have a load of good Test match players. Like sometimes, sometimes things are cyclical, and you kind of you want to create a a kind of a cause and effect. But sometimes it's just the natural order of things that you're not going to be amazing at everything all the time, no matter how hard you um, how hard you try. So you should enjoy the white ball success whilst it lasts, because you know it might not last, it might not last forever. Um, but you know, then you look at the the, the schedules is always a challenge in English cricket. How much cricket do we play and how do you get the guys playing the right amount of cricket for longer format when it doesn't, you know, sell as well as the 100 would domestically? So there's a lot of factors that create that, um, that tension, but I don't think people's aspirations have changed that test cricket is just as important. It's just it's not the bit that we're excelling in as, as to the same extent as the minute. I think that's a really
0: interesting point, kind of what comes through. You look at Australia, you know, when they had that side of Warren, Gilchrist, McGrath and stuff and all came through and almost unbeatable. And then obviously had Michael Clarke, who came in a little bit younger, but came in and fit really good. And then slowly as those guys start to retire, it then kind of became more challenging for them. And obviously England doing a similar thing where we had that Ashes team of Harmison, Flintoff, Peterson... Worn, but then slowly as they retired we found it more challenging i i i don't know if there's research on this i'd be really interested to see how kind of i guess modern society affects it as well if you you talk about the like work around like instagram or tiktok and everything being fast and you know quick paced and whatnot that's almost the antidote to what a good test match player is they you know if you have the thing you've got a test match player probably needs to be able to read a novel and read a book whereas uh, a t20 player can kind of flip through tiktok type thing for a thing so i I wonder whether there is any correlation in terms of actually what culture and modern society looks like to then how that then affects you know mindsets of just children growing up which then affects them actually in competition not necessarily What's being taught about actually how the culture then affects the cricket inside?
1: Yeah, d- definitely. I, th- I think that's, I think that's true. And I think, you know, it's the easy, the shorter the format, the more accessible it is, the more it's easy to earn big money quickly. It's more appealing for, to a, to a spectator or a young, a young player, you know, without putting much thought into it. So that's, that's always going to be a challenge. But I think, you know, within cricket, it's just, Called Test cricket for a reason. It's because it's the hardest thing, and I think there's a natural bit of everyone that wants to see how good they really are. And I think the longer format is that for for most players, and it's really going to stretch all aspects of their game. So I think I think their desire to to be good at Test cricket is is, is there. It will have to continually be. Um, worked on to make sure that it still appeals to players and broadcasters and fans and so on. But I think to get a good test match team, it's, I think again, I think it's just harder. You need more. You look at someone like Graham Swan, how good and off spinner he was, how good a spin bowler he was, which we didn't really have. And he was a good batter and he was a good catcher in the slips. You think, well, we didn't have someone, unless I'm forgetting, we didn't have someone like him for 20 years before. And we haven't had someone like him for the, you know, the eight years since. And he, he wasn't a worn, but he was a brilliant player to balance that team. Um, and you need the depth in batting, you know, that Ashes we won out in Australia. You had, um, you know, Ian Bell at five and Connor at six. And you think, well, they'd be three and four now. And it's just, you have to get a lot of things all come together at the same time to, to be a really, to be, to be a really good test team and you can only hope that having had some more challenging times recently there's enough people around at the top level thinking worked out what you know one thing they also like you know what it takes to win what what in the 50-over competition they said right we need two attacking openers, we need a number three you can score hundreds and so on i'm sure they've done all the research on test what it takes to win and but it may take a little bit of time to get to that point where you've got those 11 players of that skill and experience or all coming together, um, and you know England aren't too far away. I don't think, particularly when you get Stokes back, um, and if you've got Archer back, then you're you're not a million miles away.
0: And we'll come on to this a bit later, but it's about obviously performing under pressure, which I know you've written a book on, which you kindly sent to me, and we'll discuss a bit later on. But it's being able to do that as well, you know, in, in the front of the cameras, in front of the bright lights, and down under this year being able to pull all the, all the learning, all the thing together. It is small margins of, of test cricket, you know, being half an inch the wrong way or half an inch, you're back in the right position. That that can be the difference between getting out or not getting out. So, um, yeah, really interesting. Right, I'll stop quizzing you about the England thing from the outside now. So, obviously, for people that probably may have guessed you work within cricket but for people that maybe don't necessarily know you or haven't come across you etc do you just want to explain what your role within cricket is and what that actually entails from a practical point of view
1: yeah so my my role is managing director of Buckinghamshire Cricket so we've got 40 or 39 counties in, I think in the country um, uh, 18 professional teams and then 21 called national national county so and I've all have Um, adult men's and women's teams, but ours are sort of non-professional and we've all got pathways that start at uh, under 11s and go all the way through boys and boys and girls. Um, but ultimately when they get to about 16, 17, we're looking to get them onto the academies of the, of the pro teams. And then those that aren't quite good enough for that, they'll come through and play for our, for our senior, seniors teams. And obviously those that get onto the academies of the pro teams may come back and play for us as well. made up out a professional at a professional game, so our natural partners for in um in boys and men's cricket is northamptonshire, so we're they are bordering county, so we'll play we'll compete against them all the way through, but then like yeah lad gets to seventeen say hopefully we gets onto northamp's academy, and then in the women a slightly different structure um that there's eight regional teams um set out and we we feed into the Southern Vipers, which is the this team based down in in uh, Southampton, and again trying to get players onto onto their academy and then through to their first team. But so that's the kind of the pathway. But then it's also clubs, it's schools, and it's um kind of urban and diverse community projects. And how do we get new people playing the game? How do we you know, cricket for good for social good? How do we enhance people's lives or um, work with communities? Sort of cricket as the as the vehicle. So it's kind of a real. Wide, wide remit, I guess, in terms of, um, yeah, cricket from trying to produce professional players through to trying to get a five-year-old playing a game or a mother of a, you know, trying to play women's cricket for the, for the, for the first, for the first time. Um, that's my main role. But then I also, I'm a, uh, a Le- a level four coach and a, um, background in, uh, psychology. So, um, I currently sort of consult for a couple of the, the pro teams. On the, psychology, on the psychology front, which is kind of nice to have the variety. Having not played professionally myself, I kind of always thought I needed a couple of strings to my bow to, to have opportunities to open up. So I was kind of coaching and doing psychology stuff, went, got more into the coaching um, path, path. And then I guess the administration of the games kind of become more my, the route I've kind of gone got into. But it's kind of, at the minute I do a bit of them all, but primarily I'm paid to be a good administrator. But I also like you know, kind I of coach on a variety teams and I you know I do site with um some of the some of the pro um squads. So um yeah, a real nice a real nice variety in in the game and kind of see it at all different levels, which is um kind of very helpful I think to you see the big picture and, and when things aren't working you kind of you you got a variety of angles to kind of look at that and try and improve programs and, and coaches and players and, and and develop things further.
0: So yes that's a re- obviously really interesting dynamic and the diversity you've got with, within roles and stuff so if we, if we look at it from the I guess the base level when you're looking to get individuals into the sport um, and looking to obviously begin them on their journey how do you go around making sport accessible to so those individuals what type of pathways you put in place to try and encourage them to one play and then obviously two, hopefully kind of stay with it within your club and work their way up
1: and progress in that area yeah so we have a primary schools program which is funded by a charity called chance to shine um and and ecb kind of fund them and then allow us to go to go and deliver so we'll deliver in about sort of 50 primary schools in across bucklandshire um a year, and we try and map those schools to clubs with with junior sections, uh, and particularly with the ECB's ECB got a couple of national programs called All Stars, which is for five to eight year olds, and Dynamo's Cricket for eight to eleven year olds softball softball cricket. So the the, the objective is to go into schools and players, and then they'll join their local clubs, All Stars and and Dynamo's um, programs, and then kind of stay in their clubs uh, through that. I think. The so that I think that's working really well. I think the game at the bottom end is is in a really healthy position. I think the challenge is always as you get a little bit older, teenagers dropping out of the game. How do you engage them? What variety of offers do you need to have to to keep them involved? And also, I th- think as a, as a game we've, we've we're getting better, but we tend to go to hardball too quickly and. That I think that's great if you kind of got some aptitude for it, but it could be quite daunting. And actually, just playing softball cricket, whacking a ball with a bat, like almost creating like backyard cricket at cricket clubs um, and trying to create a pathway almost all the way through. If you're, uh, you know, um, mums and dads of a junior player or just, you know, local people that, you know, you could actually go and play on a Friday evening and you could just play cricket, but you don't have to strap the pads on, you don't have to bowl the power ball. Making the game more accessible. I think there's quite a bit more work to be done to that. To that, that you don't have to make such a big commitment in terms of time and equipment and developing skill of playing hardball, which is so different to playing with a softball. But everyone could bowl arm, whack a ball, run around fielding, and that's that's fun. But I think as a game, we've we haven't done enough to create that kind of pathway there. So so so. I think some really good progress has been made, but there's, there's a lot to be done to keep people in, in the game and, and kind of have diverse offers that don't just um, work for the the same people that it's always worked for.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I, I think that I remember being at school actually. I was quite a sporty kid growing up, and then kind of that first day where they're like, "Oh yeah, you need to start putting pads and helmets and stuff on," and you're like, oh, "Okay." So it's like it's kind of almost getting like serious a little bit now, but it was. Also, like for me, because I just love sport, really interesting. But I can imagine for a few people, they're like, right, I'm out at this point. You know, get one hit on the hand where you're a little bit close and it stings. You're like, this isn't for me all of a sudden. So I think that's a really, um, really interesting point in trying to funnel those people up and trying to keep them engaged in terms of ways you do that. So when when they do begin to get into, I guess, secondary school age, and you're looking at the 11s, and you mentioned around them, obviously them being county size and you play into county, how are you funneling people into that and what are maybe some of the key identifiers for individuals where you go, okay, they may have potential to be within this framework?
1: Yeah. So how how it works in Bucks, we've got, we've got about 45 junior um, sections. So they nominate to, to us as a county in the, in sort of the middle of the summer. And then that, all those players get a couple of opportunities to kind of come and play, um, well, we sort of, they play games and they go in the nets and they get the kind of, it's a trial, but we try and take that trial element, the feel of it being a trial away and create a really enjoyable experience playing cricket for a few hours against other good players from around the county. And the end of it, yes, some players will be selected, but we kind of want that experience in itself to be a positive one. Um, and to increase the awareness of players of where they match up against each other, you know, particularly teenagers, they, they know. Um, but you need to give them the experiences, so they kind of know where they are. they do fit in that in that um in that pecking order and then we take around about thirty players at every age from elevens to eighteens boys and girls, and kind of then they come into our coaching programs through the winter and then um in 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 then play through the through the summer so we try and keep the pool of players relatively big for as long as we can without diluting the offer. The quality of the product, like the quality of the programs for the players that are in there. So, you know, you could, we want to, we want to create opportunity, but ultimately every time you come, it needs to be a good experience. So if you put more and more players in there, then all of a sudden coach ratios aren't very good or they get less game time and that sort of thing. So we're constantly battling that sort of tension, not to, not to go too narrow, um, t- too soon. We, we particularly find that. Um, that's say under the gap under 13 is a really interesting year because particularly for boys because puberty really kicks in then and a really good 13 year old cricketer might not be a 50 really good 15 year old cricketer and vice versa because of just the natural but i think there's three things there's probably perhaps private school cricket um it dominates in the the younger age groups just through time and task that those kids so are under 11s you could bet that most of the best players go to independent schools because they've they um they've just done more of it. By the time you're 15, that's often balanced out. And what you see is the players who are there at 15, they've kind of got more of a love and a passion for the game. And it, outside of their county stuff, they've probably got a real commitment to their club cricket. Because what we see at 15, 16 is that if they're playing really good adult club cricket on a Saturday, that, that will really accelerate their, their learning because they're playing with adult players who might not necessarily be technically as skilled, but they're obviously all their experience, their, their strategy, um, and that environment just gets players to mature, um, ma- massively. Um, so yeah, so the, the prep school element comes into it. I think the love of the game, um, is, is really, really key. And then just, yeah, some people grow that if you're going to be a fast bowler, The physicality comes into it and some people you know just have that big growth spot and all of a sudden they they um they come through but what you kind of hope is that well we kind of hope that we've kept our, our programs open enough that they would have received the coaching to create the fundamentals that when that growth spurt comes through and they might jump ahead of 10 of their peers that they can maximize it because even if they weren't the best player at 12 they're they're kind of Alignment as a, you know, as a bowler, it's all about energy transfer to the, to the other end of the, to, to the batter. So if you've got a really effective energy transfer as a 12 year old, even if your body's not there yet, then you have your big growth spurt. You still got the really effective technique in terms of energy transfer. Then you're going to get great outcomes. So we got to make sure we get those fundamentals into players, but you have to allow the individual factors that are going to balance it out to kind of come through. And, and, you know, physicality's one of it. Love of the games. Um, another and kind of commitment to playing in, yeah, you know, playing your adult cricket and not just, um, you know, whether it's adult cricket or just other environments where it's, it's challenging, you know, there's, there's a, a certain amount of failure, um, or uncomfortable, you know, it's uncomfortable enough that there's, there could be a bit of growth, um, as a, as a person through that.
0: Yeah. And obviously, I guess that the younger ones, when you are looking at, um, selection or deselection that looks like there's gonna be a level of technical and tactical side to it. So if you're looking at identification on in that context, what type of things are you looking for your players to be able to do or potentially be able to do with the support of your staff?
1: Yeah, so I think it changes through but I guess there's you're looking at some outcomes and you're looking at some processes aren't you so in terms of outcomes you know can you strike the ball cleanly does the ball go you know can it go to the boundary and I think sometimes in cricket before we've looked too much at the process to have they got really nice technique and not enough that actually is the outcome good and I, uh, it's not one or the other I think you've got to hold them both in, in uh, together because somebody might get a really good outcome now but against better bowling or against, you know, um, as they get older, will they still be able to achieve that outcome given the, the fundamentals of their technique? So, a uh, fundamental of technique, I think, you know, for a batter's kind of, you know, sort of it's balanced. How do you head, hands and feet kind of align as you set up and move into the ball? Um, and it's, um, and, and also a kind of alignment. So, you know, cricket's often quite a side-on sort of game and you can get into better positions if you start relatively side on obviously some individual difference there but if you've got your hips pointing off in one direction your feet pointing off in another direction and someone rolls an 80 mile an hour ball at you it's going to be quite hard to, to access it so getting yourself in positions where you could access the ball um, more more regularly and then can you kind of hit through the line of the ball so you know the, we could all kind of generate force by having a big swing across but you're not going to, you're going to miss a lot of balls. So can you actually, do you have the, 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 technique to kind of hit through the ball with a pretty straight bat and get the ball going back past the, past the bowler? Um, so they're kind of some of the, yeah, the fun, the fundamentals, but I, uh, and outcomes, and I work with under 15. So I just think, well, okay, as so a batter, I'm looking at, do you have really clear boundary options? So of every type of bowler that comes on, could you hit them before? Um, and that might sound really simple, but most, calm once you're you get out of that level of, of of counter cricket they might be able to hit a really bad ball for four but can you hit a goodish ball for four then do they run properly run really well between the wickets so again a lot of club and school cricket you don't have to run well between the wickets because um you'll score enough off bad balls that it doesn't get shown up um and then such a key thing is playing against spin. And the reason that is, is because there's no pace on the ball. So all of a sudden it makes it harder to play high, um, high percentage shots for relatively low risk. So can you find a way? Do you have the skill set to score off spin bowling? Because you might face it for an hour. They might not bowl our ball. There's going to be very little pace to work with. So what are your, how are you going to solve that? Solve, solve that problem.
0: So when you mention about the the, the cleanliness of contact, for example, um, is there any ways for you to actually measure that in terms of any software, etc., or is that more of a subjective uh, point of view?
1: Yeah, I mean we do measure. Um, sort of they like bowling speeds, you know, speed off the bat. So how hard somebody can um, strike the ball, but I think more often than not it is is subjective, and it's it's just. You're trying to put that into a game context, and you're trying to observe. And okay, against this bowler, you know, does he play a nice-looking shot that goes 20 yards straight to a fielder, or can they really accelerate their hands through the ball and the ball goes? So you you know you could you could measure that uh, objectively. But most of the time, you can kind of you can kind of tick that off. Is do they have that option? Yeah, you know, do they have the capacity to get the ball from A to B? Of relative relative consistency in in a in a game sort of even in a game or a game scenario within with it within training and um we don't me- we don't m- measure that number because i'm not there's a danger i think that you it might lack context and uh i think you know often in, in cricket you know the the right shot at the right time is is important but we just want to know does he have the capacity to strike it cleanly at the right, you know, if the opportunity presents itself?
0: And then when you're looking at, um, you, you mentioned kind of around that their alignment and stuff, which I think is a really interesting one. How do you manage those two factors? So you might have an individual who strikes it very, very cleanly, but at the moment has... You know, all the triggers under the sun in terms of they're a bit quirky with their back lift, they're a bit quirky when they move, the head isn't necessarily in the right position. Um, and then obviously, you guys probably identify that at the moment it works, but in five years' time, I think against a quick in, in swinger, this is going to cause problems because he's outside the line all the time. So, how do you go around challenging that individual to kind of break down the technique where they're going to? Maybe lose some of their success at the time being to hopefully build it up in a slightly different way that is going to be more positive for them in the long term.
1: Yeah, I mean everything described there is definitely the, the challenges that we have with, with with lots of players. I think video is the best the best tool. So, you know, lots of players they might have achieved success in club and, and school cricket, but they might never have seen themselves on video, and it's very easy for us to. You know, we try and keep that really simple. I do sort of a couple of phases of the, so like where they are, let's say for a batter, when the ball releases the ball, what's their position? And then as they move to the ball, what's their position? As they make contact with the ball, what's the position? Uh, and then, then kind of how do their yeah, align, alignment, you know, whether it's horizontally or vertically of the body, how do they align that's going to make it more or less likely for them to, to hit the ball? And I think most players, and you can map that up against then or video of, like other test players and where they are, they you just, you know, you just, just pull something off YouTube and go, well, you know, maybe De Villiers, you know, Joe Rube, et cetera. They're all here, you're here. And I think most players will get that in that moment. And we don't often have a hard task getting them to understand it. But the task then is how disciplined is their practice going to be in the, what exactly what you said is how much current success are they prepared to lose to get future success. And that's the real challenge. And I think that's about your coach player relationship. Um, it's about, um, being really patient, getting them to be really patient, I guess, because I just think so many of the technical work is about slowing it down and building it back up. And it can be quite boring, I guess. Uh, certainly not as fun as swinging off, swinging as hard as you can and trying to send the ball miles with a, with poor techniques of so getting them to, to slow down and then, I think really you're also hoping they've got the mindset that they're going to go away and both practice this in their own time, but also be mindful of it when they're in other environments. So that when they go back into their club cricket, they're not just thinking about the end result, but they're also thinking about they're mindful of the positions, the quality of the positions they're getting into in those other environments. As we find as county coaches, you know, we see these players, you know, across a year, we might see them 25, 30 times. Um, and you're not going to have the same conversation on every occasion with them. So there is a lot that we require. It's not like a football academy where you'll see your players a lot more. We require those players to go into their other environments, particularly their club ones, take the feedback and, um, apply it, which is dangerous. You know, you, you haven't got so much control over it, but I think it also shows you who's got the, um, that, that, that mindset to actually take control of their own game and, and take responsibility for their own development. And ultimately, I think if someone in cricket doesn't have that characteristic, they're going to be limited in the long run because that, the game is continually showing up your technique. You know, you look at an England player, same you know, Dominic Sibley. He's a good example of a player whose technique might have got shown up a bit in test match cricket. Well, the only way he's going to get better if he takes responsibility for that and goes away and does the boring patient work. Reshaping that so it is ready and we need to, we try and instill that in players from that, you know, particularly from the teenage years upwards that that process is, it's led by us in terms of information, but it's over, it's reliant on them to do the graft to make the difference. And if they don't want to, then that's their call. And if they if they don't want to do the work and they're still good enough to play for us, then that's nothing against them. It's their game at the end of the day. So not for me to say that every player should play the way I want. Them to play. Um, but here's the information, make the most of it that they can. Um, and then, you know, hopefully they'll get the outcomes Outcomes they want. And do you manage the relationship
0: between the clubs? So, say, for example, you've got a uh a right-handed batsman that you know goes for all these triggers but is very good at accessing the ball on the leg side and you're saying to him listen you you need to have some scoring options on the offside otherwise this isn't going to be sustainable moving forward and you've tried to put a plan in place for him to facilitate back at his club of accessing the ball on the offside more regularly do you Tell the coaches in the the club team that, or is that put down to the player to have that conversation, and how's that kind of information passed and, and gathered on, et cetera
1: yeah, it was a really good really good question because we're sort of having this discussion exactly this morning as club that kind of raised that with us, and it's not something we've we've got particularly well um nailed down and there's a few different reasons for that. we've got three hundred players in the pathway. And, um, trying to, trying to get, getting it right for what it looks like outside of our environment is, is a, is a big task for, I think it's one of our key work ons. You know, so I think we've, we've done a hell a lot of work on what's it, how good is it in our environment? But actually, as we, you know, I just explained, actually, we're very reliant on what goes on outside. And that's, that's what we need to do. I think the, the challenge is that every club is very, very different and they're, coaching resources so you often find that let's say a 15 year old county player whether he's got technical challenges or not when he goes back to his club he's probably successful but he's also he's not their coach's biggest concern because he's getting success so they're worried about supporting players who aren't getting that amount of success so it's quite um it's just quite a tricky field to navigate that actually not in All clubs, do they have the coaches that are there for either individual development, almost like best, best of their best players development? That is to their their coaches are kind of focused on the, I think it's often coaches can be on kind of the middle of getting the average better rather than those best players. And I think we want to work with our, uh, it's probably sort of 10, 12 clubs who are kind of the standout ones. So working with those, so they've got almost like an academy within the club. That they if they've if we've got they've got six county players that they offer academy type coaching to them with our um with some of the information that we can provide to them um but that's yeah that's sort of something we're looking at for 2022 um and we we'll would be interested to know you know if other clubs other sports have done that well how they do it we're, we're happy to take the learnings and apply them if, if they're out there <coughs>
0: sorry about that there's an interesting one I had a podcast with um, uh, Greg Mannion who's actually at Leicester Tigers and they have a very similar issue with their pathway and basically he they put it really solely on the kids Hmm. (laughs) they almost provide it with the resource and what he was saying was you know we have Steve Borthwick come down for sessions to, to talk with the lads so for them to feel comfortable enough to talk to an England international about their game and what they need to work on and stuff, they need to be comfortable enough to talk to their best mate's dad about it or whoever's taking the team. So their IDP plan, which they'll draw together is put the emphasis on, on the kids and try and say to them, listen, this is going to benefit you. Your, it's your journey, not ours. Can you be the one that is going to really encourage them at your club to facilitate it as well? Um, but yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see what you do in that space because I think it's an interesting dynamic of how you support the players or how you support the club to support the players and what the percentage of that looks like. Um, when it goes to the top end, so you were getting to the age where you mentioned that you're going to try and, uh, potentially pass these players on to Northamptonshire, et cetera. Um, are there any key indicate, any key indicators for players that may be successful in making that jump? And how does an individual's fit, I guess, to the club fit as well? So like this, again, I'm just using random examples here. If you've got a spinner who's playing on a track that very rarely spins and is really good for seam bowlers, he might not that might not be the best place for him to go as an individual. So what key indicators do you have and how do you manage kind of the individuals and what's best for them and their longer term potential
1: development? Yeah, if I take those questions in, re- in reverse, I think the key thing for us is to say are our primary sort of partnership is with North Ants, but we'll work with players and counties of any of the 18 But what's the right outcome for that player. So if, if a player lives right in the south of Bucks and it's better for them to go to Middlesex because of the location or he gets scouts, scouted somewhere else and they'd like him and that works for them. That's great. So we've got players, well, we've got a laddies. Just complete this first year on the pro staff at Gloucestershire. We've got a lad who played for England under 19s and he's at Hampshire. And then we've got, um, you know, one, one of the pro staff at Northampton and four on the academy there. So it's about what's finding right for the player. But what we want is a, a real, a clearly defined option A that if everything rolls through the pathway naturally, this, you would end up with Northampton. But if it's not the right place for you because of whatever reason, then we'll work. With you and with other counties to provide the um to get you the opportunities to, that it, kind of you you deserve so that you know probably about five years ago we had two really good wicketkeepers, and both were kind of on fancies um you know, sort of one of our programs and then on theirs and they they signed one, and so yeah, the other lad they were interested in him and would have kept supporting him, but then Gloucestershire kind of came in and said, no, you'll be top of our academy wiki keeping." Sort of queue. So, so he signed for Gloucestershire. So it's just a, so it's about, yeah, it's just trying to have the the option A there for them, but not being wedded to it. As you say, that if you've got, if you've got, you know, if you've got, if someone's got three spinners ahead of you and you're a spinner, well, you that might not be the place for you to go. So where else is needed? And that's just having sort of the conversations with the players, the parents and other counties. And we want to see our players go on. So, We'll happily go and bang any doors down that we need to, where we feel we've got a player good enough. Um, if he's not being seen or not rated in that environment, because every yeah, every academy sees it differently in terms of what they value, and you put two batters in front of two different coaches, they'll they'll have different opinions. And so we feel it's important to keep those doors open. In terms of the markers, I think um I, I think it's a range. It's, it's it's a balance of things, and you. say like sometimes you. You have players who have a really strong, a super strength almost, that they can do something that no other player at that age can do. So there may be other areas of the game where they're really, really weak in comparison to their peers, but that super strength is worth them being signed up. You know, wherever that is, Um, you know, often it's probably a power element. I think that really stands out if you've got a 16-year-old so who can hit the ball out of the ground. Well, there aren't many 16 year olds who can do that or you know, 16 year old who can bowl 75 mile plus. And if there are other elements of their game that aren't there, you, the academy will need to work on them over the years, but they'll be enough to get them in the door because it's so far ahead of their peers in terms of what they can produce. Um, so that, that's super straight. But for those players that perhaps don't have that, they're just more rounded players. So the difference is, um, I think he's, it's, it's having a second skill that's good. So you know, batting, bowling, fielding. But if you're a really good batter, that's great. But what's your, what's your fielding like? Or can you, can you bowl? So have you got more string, st- strings to your bow? You know, look at, you know, Mo and Ali's a great example, isn't he? Where England kind of know, I went to the conversation earlier that if he doesn't bowl, that's fine because he's going to be able to bat. And if he, if he doesn't bat and he doesn't bowl, which he didn't really yesterday, well, it'll take a really good catch for us. Um, so having that, that range of, that range of skills. And I think there's a hell of a lot of people who, particularly bats well, batters and bowlers who probably didn't focus on their fielding so much in the past and their athleticism. And that's just so changed so much now. So I, uh, being an athletic mover in the field and doing the strength and conditioning, um, work is, I think is a differentiator. And then see the, the, the final piece of that jigsaw is probably a bit I'm most interested in terms of mindset and maturity and the kind of the factors about. Taken well, I would think the key ones are taking responsibility for their own development. When it goes wrong, are they looking to learn or are they looking to make excuses or um, blame others? And just the level of maturity of that person. I just think cricket's a brutal game. There's so much failure in it that, um, and you, you have so much time to stew on your mistakes. You know, in a first class game, you might, you might get out first thing on the first day, and then not have the chance to bat again for another two days after that. So you've got a hell of a lot of time to think about your mistakes, and that's, I think, to work through that and kind of be able to take success and failure in in a real balanced way, in a mature way, is is is, is really important. Whereas, um, you know, kids who have been successful. Can tend to get caught up in their success and start perhaps to define themselves by their success and then be afraid of failure, afraid of not looking to learn. Whereas somebody's kind of got that moral in all in balance, you can kind of see them riding out the rough periods. I think, I think, um, really important, but there's no, you know, it's technical, tactical, physical, mentalism there. And what you're looking for is, um, some strengths in those, no huge weaknesses and the desire to improve all elements of that and the kind of an understanding that. What's got them to that point is great, but what gets them to the next point is a lot more.
0: Yeah, when you said athleticism, I just have uh, images of Inzaman hack running up and down the wicket. Yeah? You compare that to like Johnny Bearstone now, it's a yeah, completely different game in terms of um, what it looks like. So I think that gives a really good indicators and oversights as to you know what what that pathway and journey looks like i guess for me this links into what you put they're, they're going into pressurized situations you know they're going into performance cultures and whilst yeah there is development as part of academy setups or as part of second teams as part of going into first teams etc whatever that looks like you're obviously getting to put the top end where there is an element of pressure being a, a, a revolving around how that individual can perform on a day-to-day week-to-week over-to-over basis whatever that looks like so from your perspective and obviously as we said you've written a book on this what are some of the um, indicators for individuals that might be able to cope with that pressure when they go into that environment, are there any or are there any particular strategies they can use to try and hopefully um, be successful or deal with the failure when they're in that environment?
1: Yeah, I think one of the key indicators for me, if you're taking someone that you've never worked with, um, is that love of the game. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I think you're probably in the performance. It's always are you driven more by just sheer enjoyment of doing it. Or is it the kind of need to uh, prove yourself in a kind of that more ego driven um aspect? And whilst you know, there's plenty of ego oriented sort of athletes really successful out there, I think it's much harder. And therefore if someone really loves the game, then I just I just think that when it goes wrong, they're not going to be as affected by it because they're not gonna take it so personally and they will um they'll want to, to learn and they'll want to get better because they wanna they wanna get better at the game. So they're not so worried about proving themselves it's a kind of a never-ending kind of learning learning cycle of okay it's almost like their results are more like feedback than they are as sort of defining outcomes so they kind of got a yeah sense of perspective that i think just a real love of the game um can, can help so it can be sound a bit fluffy but i just think Yeah, cricket can be brutal. There's a hell of a lot of failure. So if you actually love it, then I think it makes, I think it makes a big difference than someone who thinks, Oh yeah, I kind of like this. I mean, you know, it's a longer day, isn't it? A game of cricket. You can be fielding for seven hours. You've got to, um, you've got, you, you, you've got to have your heart and soul in it, I think. And, um, I think that's, I think that's really important. I think, you know, perspective is, is the key, and, and what I mean by that is, it's just not getting caught up in short-term results. You know, as I say, as a batter, you could get a string of low scores, but yet, can you kind of keep you calm? Not try and change every technique that you've ever had, um, and you just kind of trust your skills and trust your strengths to come back out the other side. And if you get caught, if you get too caught up in short-termism, I think cricket can really screw with your mind. You've got to look at the big picture that actually, um, you know, some, your form will click back into place. You know, you've got to be aware, have real self-awareness of your, of your game. And so you're not trying to, you know, you don't have two bad days and then all of a sudden you try and change the way you hold the bat or the way you stand. You know, you've got to, if you're doing that, it's because it's part of a natural ongoing sort of journey that would have you would have done that anyway, whether you scored a hundred, you know, I think a good measure of a player is if they scored a hundred in the last game, do they go to the nets and do they try and keep getting better? Or do they rest on it? And similarly, if they get if they got zero in the last game, do they try and change everything they've done? Or do they just keep trying to do they go to the nets and keep trying to get better? Because that's what they would do, whether they got zero or hundred. So I guess how how much of their practice behaviors are determined by short-term results, I think is really, um, really, really key. And I think that's about that perspective. And i staying in the big picture that it's not the end of the world. I've got a bad day yesterday, but I've got to keep trying to get better either way. I think, I think they're really, they're really key things that you're looking at with players. Cause I think that's not, although they're the things you can develop, I think they're personal, but they definitely are things you can develop. But I think if someone walks in the door with those attributes, it gives you a hell of a lot to work with. And then, you know, in terms of trying to, what I would, if somebody feels really under pressure in that environment or really struggling in that environment. I think the, the key things I would suggest, the first one is to, always to try and split the inner and the outer. So the way that you feel inside from what's happening on the outside. So what I mean by that is I've never seen pressure. I've never looked... On a field and seeing pressure i've only felt it on the inside so pressure doesn't exist on the outside it only exists on the inside so when i'm feeling pressure it's because i've got a, a load of thoughts that are telling me about how important something is or how bad it will be when i fail so pressure is created by by thoughts it's not created by the game or other people then the or the amount of challenge in the environment all those things you know, have the have the challenges inherently, but they don't create the way that you feel. The way you create the way you feel is created by the thoughts you've got at that moment in time, which are constantly coming and going. And therefore you can start to separate the way you feel from what's going on outside of you. And it doesn't mean you're gonna feel great all the time, but it creates a bit of space. And also I think the and the next thing that creates space is kind of being able to separate yourself from your Thoughts. So kind of like, almost like mindfulness that you can kind of see that it's not I feel angry, it's that I'm experiencing an angry feeling or I've got a load of thoughts going on that are making me feel angry. So that you're separating yourself from this ex- internal experience and that creates space. And therefore with space, you kind of, you know, Victor Frankl says between stimulus and response, there's a, um, there's, there's a choice. And wherever you've got space then you can choose do I keep going with all these thoughts and keep energizing them? Or do I just ignore them and let them let them come and let them come and go and not get so caught up in them? So getting space between you and your thoughts, but also then getting space between your thoughts and the outside, because the outside world does not create how you feel. It just looks like it does. Okay, so there's
0: loads to unpick there, which is really, really cool. So in terms of trying to create that space from the internal dialogue. So yeah, if if you look at it in a context where someone's feeling frustrated by performance um, because they're maybe they've gone to the ashes, they're struggling a little bit, it's the third test and they've got out for another relatively low score and they're beginning to get frustrated. How do you go around creating space between that feeling of frustration where you don't self-identify, go, I'm feeling frustrated, it's the context that's making you feel frustrated, how do you go around creating that separation between the two?
1: Yeah, well, I think the first thing, particularly if you've got a player who's who's in that that space themselves is actually the first thing is not trying to fix it when they're in that low space because actually that's often makes things worse you know, I think we've all been there where we've um you know you the classic in you know, of someone being really angry and you're trying to calm down and it has the opposite effect because they're not mentally in a space to to hear that so you you've got to allow people the physical time and space to get them for their um you know for that real uh, intense frustration or whatever it is to kind of subside because it, it will because we all know that no feeling lasts no matter how you feel at any moment in time it doesn't it doesn't last and actually it's really natural for you, you know feelings to come and go all the time like good i'm good and bad that's just that's just the natural kind of state of being human but so it's trying to pick your moment i think to to, to talk to to a player about it but um as as in a, in a sort of coaching um or management sort of role but then once you know you you with with them how do you create that space well it's it's about knowing that that is true so it's a bit like um you know if i say well this is the way you hit a ball as batter from a to b that's great but you've done no practice on that to make that happen so you have to kind of commit to saying so you have to believe me that this is the best way for you to get that ball from a to b and then you have to to undergo whatever practice it takes to get there so i guess that first thing is when somebody you would for an individual to recognise that I am not my thoughts, I am not my feelings, therefore I am something that is separate from the way that I think and the way that I feel. And somebody has to recognise that there's a truth in that. Um, because if they don't, then it's not going to go anywhere. And once you have uh, recognised the truth in that, then they've got to do, I'm not saying the practice, but you've got to go on that process. Like, you know, life's not full of quick fixes. So, And... I think the, know yeah, the best way is an, it's an inner one where every time you, you, um, get caught up in your thinking, you kind of start to realize that shit. That part <laughs> of my French, but that's not, it's not the outside world. That's the major problem here. It's the amount of thinking I'm doing about it. And that's always true. That actually every situation looks worse. The more, the more you overanalyze it and the more you think about it and you start to catch yourself, you start to catch yourself perpetuating pretty negative, um, emotional states just because you, you're adding more fuel to the fire. You're adding more thinking to it and you are kind of handle trying to analyze your way out of low being. Every time you catch yourself, you just kind of let it go. And that's the key is just letting go of, of that, of that, of that thought. And so you kind of. You just kind of get yourself in the space and I've gone through a personal, I guess, journey of it, of being someone who's perhaps overly analytical to, to almost weaning myself off the addiction to think everything to the amount that it, an overuse of analytical thinking that kind of breeds frustration and, and burnout and, um, and, you know, and all, all sorts of negative states. So you're, you're just trying to, you're just trying to catch yourself and you're just trying to break the habit. Um, where your thinking is making that worse and then I think you know it's like anything well how do you practice it well I think if that's something that you think is really important then you 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 talk to somebody through about your experiences and how um you know and, and almost give yourself space to kind of think through how you might have dealt with that better but it's also reading or listening to stuff that kind of talks to that that's Educational in the same way that you talk to a coach that's educational about how to, how to hit ball. So it's not like there's a, a magic bullet, but I think there's a, it's a recognition of a truth and then starting a journey to kind of create space, you know, space between your thoughts and feelings that you are not that. There, and therefore there's a big question on, well, then what, who, who am I? And understanding is set off. And then, yeah, creating that space between the outside and the inside. So don't assume that the way that you feel is coming from what's happening in the world because the person next to you feels very differently about what's happening in the world. And that's because they've got completely different thinking to the thinking you've got going on. So understanding that kind of thought is the center of your world and that you can change your relationship with the way that you think is, um I think, just starts the process off and then that process can go in many different ways
0: one thing you said there was around the burnout side and I think it's becoming more and more prevalent in high-end sport of athletes taking breaks you look at you know Ben Stokes at the moment that's decision on his part to take a bit of time away do you think that that is partly down to this inability to almost separate himself from Stokesy the cricketer and actually look at it and go oh, this is almost a you know, Stokesy, when I turn up at a game, yeah, I might be analytical of how I'm going to play or how I'm going to bowl this person. But when I get home, I'm just going to be Ben, the the dad to my two lovely kids. I don't know if he's got kids or a husband or or son or whatever that is. Do you think that is maybe a challenge with social media and how intrusive that can be and stuff where players are finding that dif- more difficult than they used to? Definitely. I mean,
1: I don't know, you know, Ben Stokesy's. Is- Situation, but you, everything you said there, we, we all know people or have experience of ourselves where that's absolutely true. Um, that actually recognizing that, you know, we all, we all play different roles and no role is more important than another. Society tells us that the roles that create wealth and status are the most important, but I think most people reflect through their lives when they go. Well, actually, my experience is not always the same as that. Actually, what matters most to me is not what necessarily what society um, tells me it should be, and therefore the roles that he plays as yeah you know, as a cricketer. Um, you can place over emphasis on that and under emphasize the other roles that, are, uh, that we play in our lives and actually being kind of being a multifaceted person. You know, you think of what we said earlier about a young cricketer needs to have a second skill, third skill. But actually, as I think as a human being, we're having different sides to us this is important. And, and kind of if we undervalue those other sides and we overvalue this one as about what you particularly where your job's involved, then. Actually, it hinders your performance. And the, and the more that you kind of let go of this attachment to the need to perform and this sense of attachment to your kind of identity as me, the performer. And I think the easier it is to perform because there's not so much on it. You can just relax and allow your skills to come to the front. Whereas where there's a sense of need and attachment and tension and clinginess to it. Well, we all know what that, the feelings those that creates and we all know that it's much harder to play well when you are experiencing those feelings. As we all play better when we feel free and we want to we can express ourselves and it's fun and we can enjoy it. Um but and we've got a we've uh, but if you so attached to your results it's very hard to feel that. So splitting, you know, understanding yourself is really important, understanding the roles that you you you, you play um and just putting less on your performance. Like, yeah, it feels like it'd be on the end or but it, it really isn't. It doesn't define you as a person. And I think, you know, Stokes has said some really interesting things. Um, You know, he said it to Joffre Archer, you know, because obviously Stokes bowled that over in the 2016 T20 World Cup, which got whacked for five, four, five, sixes, and they lost it. But he said to Joffre Archer before he bought the Super over in 2019, what happens now doesn't define you. And that's so important for people to understand that, that short-term results do not define who they who they are um so yeah I think he's got a great deal of insight there but you can't you can't um predict people's you know, how they deal with everything that life throws at you and also
0: there's the inner and the outer
1: isn't there so I think the thing you've got control over more is the way that you your relationship to your thinking about stuff and the way that the way your thinking creates the way you feel but there's also more preferable external environments than others and more that are more likely to help a human being flourish you know so you're more likely to be relaxed on holiday than you are um in a hotel room doing fourteen days quarantine for the fifth time this year to play you know a a, a cricket tournament so um I imagine it's been a very hard you know experience for those those international um players um so it's 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 the balance of coaches and managers and administrators I think what the duty to create the right external environment to be able to flourish, but each individual the way that they create their internal environment with their relationship to their own thinking and their relationship to themselves and their identity and the roles they play is the bit that we we can never stop getting better at um and yeah, I don't know specifically about Stokes, but I think it would be a good. For anyone to deal with challenge, to not get too fixated on the external environment and get more interested in what's going on internally for me—that's making this easier or harder.
0: It's interesting. I actually saw a um interview yesterday with Kobe Bryant. They, they flirt around on Twitter quite a lot, and he was talking with a host of some sort of talk around his Black Mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. And then they brought up a quote about um, him talking saying he listened to the halloween soundtrack um over and over and over again because he wanted to be a a stone cold killer on that evening or whatever it was but what was more interesting for me about it was that he discussed this idea of almost having an alter ego of having black mamba is when i go into training or i go into weight room or go into a game um black mamba i'm horrible um you know confrontational i'm this and that but then when I leave that, I'm different. And I wonder whether, whether for you know, your high-end athletes or whatever, whether that's a good way to go and being able to separate those two things almost by having an alter ego in terms of when I get on the pitch, I'm going to separate, not from me, but I'm going to separate the task from what I am as a, or what I'm going to, experience as a person after that um it's yeah it was really interesting whether that would work or not I don't know but it was just food for thought from my end really
1: yeah well I think everything that we do you're always an actor playing a role um and you're trying to play that kind of as authentically to, to that comes to you as possible but essentially when he goes and plays Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, he's got to work out what's going to get the most out of Kobe Bryant, the basketball player and go and play that role and go and act that out as best as possible. But then those same characteristics are not going to be, um, the, the ones that are going to help him in other environments. So it's recognizing that I am an actor and here I play this role and here I play that role. Um, and yeah, trying not to. Yeah, being able to put one role down, you know, someone's doing Shakespeare one week and then the next week they're doing, um, you know, they might be in a film and you're going to play a different, playing these different roles as best you can, but you're not, you're not, you're not getting your sense of self wrapped up in the role. So, you know, you can drop Black Man because that's not who he is. It's just the role that he plays to the best of his ability on that, for that period of time. Um, and yeah, I, the Cobra Bryan stuff, I, I don't know a huge amount, but I think, from the bits I've gathered, he did undergo a bit of a change later in his career. So i would be interesting to know when that interview was from when I think he did become a more selfless player and, um, so I've, you know, seen some other stuff, around, which was really, um, interesting. But that just shows that, you know, people grow up and they go on a bit of a, a journey themselves as well. Um, but yeah, you always, I think you're always playing a role. So you've got to know who you are that's playing the, the role and kind of have a bit of fun playing those roles as well. Like it's not, it's not you. It doesn't determine you. It's just, I go out and I play the role of recruit coach and I, this is the way that I feels authentically right to me to play that role. But, um, you know, that's not fundamentally who I am. And, you know, in the same in any other sphere you, um, you walk into. And I, I just feel like if you realize you're playing a role and that's, um, you're trying to do it the best you can, but you're not, you're not getting your sense of happiness or self-esteem wrapped up in it because it can't, I'm playing a role, that role can't impact me and in, in whichever environment. So I'm much more fundamental than that. I'm, I, I, I cannot, at a fundamental level, I've never changed, you know, the, the, in the sense that a 50-year-old still feels exactly the same person as they were a 10-year-old, despite the fact that none of their body is the same as it was, none of their experiences were the same. So what's the bit that is the same? Well, that's it's really intangible, isn't it? That's the fundamental. Of that. that person is the same, but they've played all these different roles. they played the role of the child. they played the role of the teenager. They're playing the role as the coach, or just the role of the athlete. Um, the roles have changed. The body's changed. We all know that you know, we don't have the... You know, the The body's continually replacing itself so the body's changed the roles have changed but something at the root of it all is still exactly the same and that thing is exactly the same whether things have gone well or they've gone badly or whether you've um you know yeah whether you were 10 years old or or 50 year olds and I think that if you can take root in that fundamental sense of yourself and not get caught up in the successes and failures of these different roles we play then the roles become more fun because it's just more of a you kind of play in it more. It feels like a game rather than defining yourself by you know, whether you score runs today or took wickets and so on. Uh,
0: I think that's a really good uh, point to to end on. So I'm going to ask you one last question, which is something that I ask everyone, which is who's the, I guess for you and your line of work, who's the most impressive individual you've worked with uh, or coached or, or what not and why?
1: Uh, great, great question. Um, there's no, no big, big, big names. I just think I work in talent development or a lot of the time and just people who understand, who, who really are in it for the kids. Um, and who understand the graft that takes to run a good talent development section and how that's not it's not sexy, and it's not status, and it's not even the fun bit of coaching that they are prepared to graph behind the scenes. And there's just a few guys I know in cricket. um, There's a guy called Matt Barnes, who's Oxfordshire, and um, Jason Reynolds, who works for me at Bucks, and Luke Sharp, who's at Northamptonshire. And I just think that everybody, it's not so many roles. Everybody thinks they want that role, but they don't necessarily understand the graph that is to to take. And everyone wants the glory moments, but not always prepared to do the work that's hard which in that sort of role is spreadsheets and schedules and player development plans and all all that sort of stuff and I I just have a lot of respect for people that are prepared to do the dirty work and not just trying to take the um yeah the to, to take the achievements or the easy the easy bits of it
0: perfect and for people that um are listening that might want to read your book um because obviously we spoke about it a little bit you're giving a great insight into some of the content of it what's it called where can they find it where can they go and get it if they are interested
1: yes yeah, it's called perform perform beyond pressure um it's on amazon and it's essentially distilling down trying to break down that inner and outer which we talked about before um how we how much of our understanding of ourselves um and also our understanding of of the game and how we can make that so much easier for ourselves and we don't perpetuate myths. I just think when I hear commentators talk about pressure or confidence or um, the demands of the game, we can make that, we can simplify things so much for us and therefore kind of be able to uh, enjoy it a lot more because I think sometimes we forget that whatever we're doing, we're going to enjoy it first and foremost. Um, but then also kind of understand our unique sort of skill set and, um, how we can apply it well to the game and, and strategically, which kind of takes us full circle to what we we're talking about at, at, at the start of the, um, the conversation. Or how do we express ourselves? But how do we do that that smartly? Um, and enjoy and enjoy the results we get.
0: Listen, Rich, really great conversation on loads of different topics and probably haven't gone into half the stuff that you do or have interest in, but really appreciate your time. and Hopefully you can catch up again soon.
1: No, th- thanks for me, Michael. It's been really good to have such a variety of um, topics to chat about. So, yeah, thanks, Emil.